Hello. Happy 100th episode. I can't believe we've made it, actually. It is is astonishing. It is. And we've got better equipment now than we had on day one. And I just want to take this opportunity to ask you, Lee Sales, will you make me the happiest? No. Um, So um, here's the thing. We have considered what to do with this 100th episode. Uh, Many, many grand plans were considered and abandoned. And uh, instead, we've decided to use this podcast to give – you, dear chatters, the greatest gift ever. The first ever interview, the first ever guest on Chat 10 Looks 3. Who, uh, would you introduce yourself, please? Hello, I'm your Tamo Tulengi. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, about five million cups of tea just got spat out with excitement. We're in a room with your We've, we've kidnapped him. Or we've detained him. In uh, I just owe it to you, Annabelle, because you've been like my the serial interviewer for so many years, but I just have to. I, I, I had to succumb. I am so sorry about her stalking you. I just yeah. really apologise for, for that. I go like I look at my schedule and say like, okay, so uh, I go, I've got an interview in Brisbane. Uh, who is it? Annabelle Club. Oh, not again. <laughs> We should explain, so right from episode one, the very first episode, we uh, discussed you because we're both such big fans of your um, books and and your food and you're very much a recurring feature um, in the podcast because every time a new cookbook comes out, we cook from it religiously and then we discuss what we've cooked and so forth. Um, So you're sort of like a (laughs) – you don't know it yourself, but you're like a recurring character. You're, uh, you're a god and um, we might as well put it all on the table. You're often referred to as my boyfriend. And, uh, you and I both know that that is not true. Uh, not yet, yes, anyway. Not yet. Um, so, um, do you know, have you ever heard of that island? It's somewhere in the Pacific, isn't it, where Prince Philip is a god? Like they worship Prince Philip? Uh, I've heard something yeah. like that. Have you heard about his accident? Yes, yeah. I did. He's apologised for he yeah, only ju- he hasn't apologized profusely. He was forced to. Apologize. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> yes. I just love the concept. Two weeks to apologize. I know, and that letter was classic, wasn't it? It was t- totally through gritted fangs that he issued that <laughs> partial apology. I sort of. Did you watch The Crown? Did I you? watched this first season. I didn't right. watch the second season. Yeah. I, it kind of changed my direction on Prince Philip. I kind of grudgingly liked him by the end of yeah, the Yeah, I mean, series. every person starts off as a little kid that everybody loves. I mean, it depends, but what, then they evolve into something. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Do, have you just flown from London? Yeah, um, I've just I've been in Sydney for 24 hours. I've just oh, wow. Um, it's such a long flight. How do you occupy yourself on a long-haul flight? Are you a reader? Do you watch TV? Uh, I did a little bit of both. So I... I read some magazines. I, I read an obscure British food magazine. It's called uh, PPC. Catchy. Propos Culinaire, which is a very weird, very niche magazine. I can't read for more than five minutes. And then I read a book, a classic that I haven't, I've never read. It's called The Girl's Guide to Fishing and Hunting by Melissa Banks. She's an American writer, and it's a great book from the 90s. Hmm. Uh, I highly recommend it. And then I watched some films. Right. Yeah. What did you watch? Uh, I watched um, – I I had to stop over in Singapore. I I said I've got to watch – uh, Crazy Rich Asian. Right. I I yeah. watched that She's on the way it. to yeah. Singapore too. Yeah, I thought like I've got to get myself in the mood and I knew I was going to go and, uh, 
so in Singapore, I knew I was going to have to get a laksa. Yeah. So as I landed in Singapore, I had a connection of 35 minutes. I ran to the laksa store. Wow. And I went, and, and I, because uh, I'm obsessed with, uh, any Asian noodle soup yeah. just does it for me. Oh, and God, I had to get too. my laksa. And I know there's a decent laksa in Singapore airport. And uh, my husband called. I sent him because he said, I knew you're so predictable. You're going to go and get a laksa. And I, said, <laughs> I went, I got the laksa and I rushed back to the gate. And then my friend, Helen Go, who is co-author of yeah, my previous book, Sweet. Sweet, texted me as I was in the airport that I also have to go and get the bakwa, which are like the, it's, um, it's like a dried meat. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Uh, and I went there and I, and, and I was holding the laksa in one hand and I went to get the bakwa and I said, could I have like a half a kilo of the bakwa? And she said, are you going to Australia? I said, yes, you're not allowed to bring any. Oh God, you would have had to throw oh. it so out. So I just bought one and I went to the gate and people were getting in and I was like drinking my soup <laughs> and having my dried meat. And I was just like, I was in heaven. <laughs> I was on the airplane there was a, this German tourist standing look at me like what's wrong with this guy like, he has doesn't he know like there's food on the plane he looked like a drug smuggler or something what does the dried meat taste like it's a, it's like a really good biltong okay. you know yeah. so biltong I always find it's very dry so this is yep. much it's a bit sweeter and softer right. so isn't uh, there somebody in Australia who, pro- who produces um, biltong from roadkill I'm sure I read about this it's like a, it's a very edgy <laughs> delicacy <laughs> I mean, there sure are, it's, a, it's a good thing for the environment. The, sure. Yeah. I must say when I've been in Tasmania, I've felt like roadkill is like their sort of, you know, natural wonder. There is so much roadkill in Tasmania. Wombats, yeah. Yeah. wombats can really, really mess up your car too. I I, I'm going to Tasmania for the first time oh, at the end of this book tour. Prepare. And I, it's I, so I, good. Should I focus on the roadkill? <laughs> See what you can do. That's right. <laughs> Next book, Otolenghi Roadkill. <laughs> <laughs> the cookbook they never saw coming. And they, and and they, th- and they thought I was vegetarian. That's <laughs> right. And seriously, you could actually make it into a TV series where first you mow down the protected creatures and then right. later you make them into I a mean, tasty... what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah. In and fact, so if you... I mean, it would be difficult, I think, for you to dismantle your um, status as an internationally loved person, but I reckon that would that be... That, that, that might do it. That might do it, yeah. yeah. Also, um, Simple has just gone so... Gangbusters in Australia. Yeah, it's sold so many copies all over the world. It's insane. It's it's sold way more copy than it's copies than any other book I've ever published. And why, we're why talking is that about like Jerusalem and Plenty. And, um, I don't really. I guess it's the uh, the obvious answer is that the, there's a promise on the cover. Yeah, and I think that simplicity is something a lot of people that have been. You know, there's this story that goes on that to cook an Ottolenghi recipe, you need a day for shopping, a day to <laughs> cooking, a day for washing up, and uh, and. <laughs> Although I just don't think that's the, that's the reality of it, there yeah. is this perception that they're pretty complicated and complex. I, I, I do, t- I do, I can hold my hand up and say yes. There is often many ingredients that are hard to get, but I always say it's worthwhile going and getting them because you're going to open your world up to something really special. Yep. But the other thing is that I always offer alternatives. So I never, I'll never say, oh, I'll, unless you can get, you can't get uh, sumac, don't bother doing this recipe. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I say, if it's a cauliflower recipe and you don't have cauliflower, don't make it. Yeah, well, that, yeah, but, uh, that but, seems prudent. But uh, yeah. um, one, of our, right. one of our podcast listeners, um, <laughs> Sui Apps, uh, says, I love his recipes, but friends and I have long called him Yotam Oh So Lengthy 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes yeah. aside, the detail in a recipe does give you confidence. Yeah. So you so 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 simple was really about so the, um, it was about because I've been I've been pretending not to listen to all this criticism over the years, and I say I I don't read Guardian column comments. You know, I just move on. But actually, I do read the Guardian <laughs> comments, and I do know that all the everything that has ever been you know thrown at me from being you know a a snob and really? a snob. Do you get a lot of online criticism? Uh, Guardian readers are particularly harsh, yeah. and yeah. because I am cosmopolitan, and but also they, they they accuse me of things that are absolutely not true. That my ingredients are expensive. They're actually cheap. I don't yeah. use expensive ingredients in my cooking. Yes, you might not have that jar of pomegranate molasses or date syrup but mm. if you go and buy it it's yeah, cheap it's and it expensive. lasts forever yeah and you can then what i tend to do if i buy something that i think okay well, i don't use that that often like say nigella seeds or even yeah. black sesame seeds yeah. then what i do is make an effort to try to find some things that will use the rest right. of the jar yeah. it's a gateway. There's, there's a wonderful um australian cookbook called the cook's companion by Stephanie oh yeah Alexander. i love that book. it's one of my favorite books and i actually use it a lot it's so fantastic because if you if you make say cauliflower soup and then you find oh i've got some chopped up cauliflower left over you go to her thing and it'll say cauliflower goes with blah 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 exactly. blah and then you can yeah. just find something to do with it and 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 i and so actually in simple what we did for that is because i know people do have say okay well i went and i bought this jar of something and i use a teaspoon and then it's it's in the in the spice cabinet forever and they've yeah. got nothing to do with it we took to, we, we kind of very difficulty and it was like drawing blood but we did it cut I, t- I, I cut down my uh, list of recipe uh, ingredients to 10 does that cause so you the actual ve- physical pain to do it, that it's pretty painful for someone who likes 250 recipes uh, ingredients to kind of narrow it down to 10 but um we narrowed it down to 10 and it's not that there's 10 ingredients in, in the book there's more than 10 ingredients in the book but the exotic kind of special ingredients yeah. are 10 and they are would be quite familiar to Ottolenghi followers there's preserved lemons and za'atar and ground cardamom and black garlic and right. things that I've cooked with many times in the past but what we said is like if you get those 10 ingredients which are not expensive you can cook through this book in this book many times and they'll kind of they'll pop up pop up all, all, all over again, you know, with in different recipes, and that was this is kind of delivering on the message of simplicity in a credible way, saying, yeah. okay, well, I'm not going to dumb down and make Nigel Slater recipes, you know, that I've got five ingredients that are completely approachable and you can yeah. get them in, in every shop. There will still be the Ottolenghi flavors, but you won't have to go and shop every time you cook a recipe. And I, I find as well, I do it like this morning, for example, um, I want to make this salad that's sober noodles and um, sort of grated carrot and shredded cabbage and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the dressing's um, ginger and shallot and it's got um, a bit of rice wine vinegar yeah. in it, just a tablespoon. Um, and I couldn't find any in the main supermarket, so I popped into a smaller one that often has great stuff. And the only rice wine vinegar they had was this organic one and it was 15 bucks for a little thing. And I just thought... Oh, I just reckon I can use Mirren or something in that instead. You know, yeah. like I just, you know, sometimes you sort of think, all right, um, you know, how can I sort of cut some corners here or um, how much is actually, is it the hero ingredient or is it not? You know, Completely. And people really need to understand that, you know, us recipe writers, part of what we do is produce solid recipes that work that people have to cook but yeah. but you're also kind of you also work on introducing new ingredients and there's a there's a whole dynamic going on in a recipe where you try to turn things around a little bit and do it differently and if you're an experienced cook you can easily change a recipe by using okay so I haven't got that particular sherry vinegar yeah. if you take a bit of balsamic and just normal cider vinegar and mix them together and put it in you're going to get a very similar effect it's uh, people just take 
instructions so literally and so yeah. seriously. I'm so glad to hear you say this, Yotam, because oh, one, of my, one of my great pleasures go. in life is to take Annabelle Crabbe's new cookbooks <laughs> and to then ring her and go, hey, I made you pea feta and mint tarts, but what I did was replace it with goat's cheese and sun-dried tomato and basil, and they're just fabulous. <laughs> she re- well, regularly tells me how she improves on my recipes. Well, that, is a, that is a much better thing to hear than I changed this and that and that, and it didn't work. Do you know why? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any, I mean, um, you should know that the cauliflower cake, your cauliflower cake has been made, I don't know, hundreds of thousands From of plenty times. more. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, it's an icon in our podcast and people constantly make it for each other's birthdays and all Funny, sorts of, yeah. yeah. Is there a particular recipe of yours that has just gone absolutely gangbusters yeah, and yeah. you don't understand quite why? Uh, well, why I, I normally do know why. I mean, I think the cauliflower cake, for example, it's got its promises on. It's got the promise of a cake. Yes. Who doesn't like a cake? <laughs> but it's also got the promise of a vegetable. Mm. So you're kind of doing something which is quite good for you and healthy. But it's <laughs> it's a cake and it's easy and you can cut it and it looks good. So yeah. I think that does it. But certain things are like one of the recipes that people cook a lot is from Plenty. It's the black pepper tofu. Oh yeah. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. is like every person that has bought that book or many have co- has cooked this recipe and uh it's another Helen's recipes actually yeah, Helen right. Go she gave me that recipe years and years ago it's a Chinese recipe and people just love it and I think what um they have I mean the, what they would always have in common those recipes is that they are not conventional people love the kind of the something that is still comforting but is non not conventional mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this book in simple what they do we have this kind of take on a on a English pie which is, it's a chicken with a corn crust. It's a, it's yeah, a slow-cooked yeah. chicken uh, that is cooked like a bit like a mole, like mm. a Mexican star. So mm. it's got chili and harissa and a bit of chocolate. So it's And then to lift it up and make it a little bit lighter, we make a corn crust. So there's mm. a yeah. corn blitzed up and whipped up with a bit of egg white. So it's just a really thin layer of corn. Mm. And you cut into this. And you you get do good things with corn. Your um, sweet corn, fresh sweet corn polenta is just yeah, I love such corn. a great thing. And I um, actually... Uh, how embarrassing. I've actually stolen it and put it in my recent you're very, recipe. You're very I've, I've, I steal uh, from everybody else. I have so completely um, uh, credited you with it. But it was like, it was, as soon as I read it and tasted it, it was such a simple and obvious idea. But you must have just yeah. kissed yourself with joy yeah, when you so discovered it. <laughs> certain recipes, when you get them, you go like wow, because not it's like it's like not every recipe yeah. is as good as each as each other. And we go and it, you taste something. That's re- that's a revelation, yeah. and then you, you can tap yourself on the shoulder. It's, it's like reverse polenta because you start with um, uh, fresh corn and you cook the moisture out of it yeah. rather than cooking the moisture into, into it, it, which you do with polenta. And the trick is, it's corn amazing. in savory dishes is really tricky because it can easily become too sweet yeah. to be savory. And I, th- I remember when I was working on that recipe, I had to add the feta mm. and the aubergines that are there, etc. It had to have a lot of saltiness added yeah. to it in order for it to justify more it. butter. Yeah, 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 all sorts of things. But corn is really—I love corn. We yeah. have this. We have this. Actually, a recipe that I saw uh, at Rovi, which is my latest restaurant in mm. London. We have a big grill, and it's all about cooking mostly vegetables on the grill. Uh, we I stole an idea from one of David Chang's restaurant, which is called yep. Corn Ribs. So you take mm. a whole corn 
and you cut it lengthways into four. So mm-hmm. you just have this, the core holding the, 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 the kernels in, in oh. uh, uh, as core. And when you deep fry it, it curls. So it looks oh, like a rib. Wow. And, and, uh, and so I saw that on Instagram. It wasn't David's. It was one of his chefs, but it's a Momofuku recipe yeah. idea. And uh, it looks so cool on the plate. So it's like four little stripes of oh. corn that, are, that have kind of curled. And then it goes, we have like a, apricot chutney and a chili mm. salt to go on top oh. Oh, that was so good <laughs> so, so yeah. and, and the corn was not in season we had to take it off the menu oh, and uh, what like rioting in, in the streets I imagine a couple of people called and, and said they're cancelling their reservations <laughs> <laughs> do you ever get I mean when you have incredible success with a recipe as a as a chef with a, with a restaurant it sort of passes out of your hands, doesn't it? It becomes the possession of others. Is that awkward? So when people cook your food at home? Yeah, or when they get completely attached to your corn dish and you can't move it off the menu because people uh, just take it so personally. Yeah. Well, I you think, must be a bit uh, freaked out too by the fact that you basically design every dinner party that anyone ever has <laughs> in Australia. Like, yeah. That's a bit weird. L- luckily, I'm not there. Otherwise, I'll be, I'll be floating with the size of my ego. <laughs> I, th- I think it's, um, yeah, it, it, you know what? One of the things that I really love is when people say, okay, well, that dish that you've published, we cook it once a week. Yeah. Because that is a great feeling, isn't it? So you, you kind of have the sense that you've actually affected the way people live. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think many people would have had that experience. And, and I'm not saying it in a boasting kind of way. It's just really satisfying. And I go on book tour and I meet lots of people and they sit and say, oh, you know, you're chicken with za'atar and, tom- and, on- and lemon and from the first Otolenghi cookbook. Yeah, made it's that a million times. It's our go-to weekend dinner. And it's, a, it's actually quite a traditional Palestinian dish. I can't even take credit for it. <laughs> it's Sammy's recipe. But just the idea that I was involved in popularizing that dish. And also fantastic. just that it, it must be sort of lovely in what you do, the idea that you have given so many people so much pleasure. For example, just the pleasure of, of cooking and the pleasure of um, eating things where, as you say, you taste a combination of flavors or ingredients together and go, oh my God, I never would have put those together. And that's just so delicious. Yeah. Um, and also the pleasure of going um, you know, to your restaurants. I was uh, just in London and one of my main things I wanted to do was to go to Ottolenghi Spitalfields. And um, just the pleasure of, you know, I'm sort of wandering around and where is it? I'm not sure I am. Oh, I can't find it. And then I sort of looked down this side street and there it was right there. Yeah. And it's sort of that thrill of, oh, and then you go and the window's there and there's just cakes all through it looking it's so windows, beautiful. And then the staff, you sort of go in and you feel like a bit of a boob because you know you're there because you're a fan, but then the staff are so lovely um, and so you don't feel like a boob. You feel like everyone's warm and welcoming and so, yeah, thank you for creating that. Thank you. And I have to say that one of the things that are my, the staff always say to me that they feel very, they feel lucky to be, be working in restaurants that have that kind of international reach because the books are kind of my ambassadors and then they yeah. bring over people that have only only experienced Ottolenghi through the books they because they're it's maybe their first time in London or they haven't been for many years or they and they say we feel so privileged to meet all these people that come with the knowledge. It's not just like they walk into the restaurant yeah, yeah, because yeah. they yeah. like the look of it. Yeah, they actually come with a lot of emotions. Yeah, for sure, yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal for them, and they they booked in advance and they know that they're coming. And so when I go into the restaurants and speak to them, they go like, "Oh my God, we we got these guys from Canada, and we got this group of people from Australia." <laughs> and you know, the, it's an it's really great. For well, them. and it's that as the visitor as well, you sort of because I was getting 
getting, uh, you know, you take this, can take the salad away. So I was doing that and getting some cakes to take away. And it's this sort of thing of like, all right, well, I'm only going to be in London, you know, once in, in this sort of long period of time. What am I going to pick, you know? And so yeah. it's that sort of thrill of which of the cakes am I going to have and what do I want to try? And, yeah. you know, it's a really thrilling um, experience. I think this is one of the advantages, I think, that people that it's we're not anywhere else. So people feel like they're yeah. going to London. Yeah. It's, it's like you must a, have had lots of suggestions that you create some sort of giant international franchise with your restaurants. You yeah. haven't. Why? We, so th- that's the one thing that we find I find really difficult with um international expansion so as you can imagine we've i've had this conversation with my partners we are four partners many times and the beginnings of the conversation every time it ends up being not a great idea because yeah. how would it actually work because mm. we are always kind of we're very hands-on and involved in what's going on and even if i'm not in the restaurants i know what hap- what happens every day and i would go tomorrow or the next day to see what's going on and i could never quite figure out how it would work if it was in a different country so especially somewhere as far as say australia <laughs> yeah, somewhere as far <laughs> yeah. as australia yeah. i think the only way to do it is if you if you give it to someone like a franchise where you really under- trust that they understand the philosophy and will carry on doing it but if you had a key staff member in London who wanted to say live in Australia or yeah. Singapore or somewhere like that, who yeah. knew the philosophy of the, but then they move, so you yeah. know, that it's, it's it's just. But it might still happen. I, I I'm not. I don't necessarily say that it won't. But all these conversations have never ended up. <laughs> so maybe it means something. So unsurprisingly, we, freak. unsurprisingly, we we digressed <laughs> when we um, hit Singapore. So what did you think of Crazy Rich Asians? <laughs> ah, Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> Uh, well, it was a great watch. I, I really enjoyed watching it. I don't know how re- true to reality it is. But <laughs> it's like just, four weddings and a funeral, yeah. isn't it? It's like it's it's about a different social yeah. group, I guess. Yeah. Like the yeah, lives of true. the it ultra rich. Yeah. It is a bit like that. And uh, well, I guess it's a picture of some people's reality. So that we're not, a, you know, I'm not privy to. So that's that was interesting. I didn't cry, but I did watch The Wife afterwards. Have you seen oh, The Wife? Oh, yeah. I loved that, yes. Oh, and I just thought, what an equi- exquisite film. I know. Yeah. It was amazing, wasn't it? Glenn Close is just such a, gives such a performance. I mean, She's the, absolutely Her facial ex- expressions are just fantastic. Her and face can be almost completely in repose, and yet there'll be so goes. much drama going yeah. on. Yeah, you can almost read her mind. And one of those films <clears> where um, just with the smallest line, like there's a scene where they're standing at the bathroom mirror and she says to the husband, um, you've you've got bad breath or yeah. something like that. And it just it says so much about a long-term relationship yeah. in just one sentence. Subtlety. And, and also her career. Like when you think, yeah. I, I was just thinking back over everything she's done. My God, yeah. what an amazing career she has and, and i think she's always been actually uh, she's famous for n- n- not having won the oscar yeah. and with, uh, as, despite all these brilliant performance yeah. i really hope she gets it for this one because oh, yeah. I think the underst- her her understatement is just her the awkward situation in the in the, with the nobel committee when they arrive i mean yeah. not many people can pull that off I mean, that, the <laughs> level of awkwardness in that, in that it's moment. like her and uh, i think jonathan price is the actor who plays her yeah. husband um just that beautiful dance when you're working well with somebody yeah. as they did bouncing off each other and just that give and take to make it work. It was just a total pleasure watching yeah. that. So um, you studied literature, didn't you, before you became I did. I studied literature and philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, <laughs> so what was your thesis on? 
Uh, well, actually, I, I studied in the comparative literature department, but I was more... I never uh, quite understood what comparative literature is. Comparative comparative literature is about the structures of literatures mm. that are kind of international. And I'm I've, I've very bad talking about it now because I haven't done it for like 30 years. And I feel, <laughs> You've forgotten how I to compare. Feel like, I, feel, I feel like a fraud and I don't even read, <laughs> read that much anymore because I don't have time. But um, so it's, it's essentially it's about how do you break down a really good work of it. So there's structuralism in, 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 uh, in literature was the, 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 the Russian structuralists. They right. kind of invented the, the, uh, the paradigm for that. So anyway, I, I can't really talk about it too much, but I studied, I studied <laughs> literature, but I, fo I focused in art philosophy, philosophy of art. So oh. what I did was try to understand how we understand fiction, how f fiction fu functions in our world so how rea how real it is and my mm -hmm. my dissertation which was utterly boring but it was about photographic images and how do photographic wow. images function in worlds of representation so in the when photo when photography first appeared on the scene in the early 19th century people didn't know what to make of it they mm. thought about it as i it, it wasn't an art mm. it was somewhere in between a an, a, a fossil Like, because it's mm. got the physical connection to an object, like, you know, yeah. it's almost like touched it. And, uh, and a work of art, because yeah. there was a man or a woman there taking the picture. And so there was a lot of discussions about what is photography and how does it relate to art and what is the role of the artist in creating the representation. And that was what I was dealing with. But, I, but it was very dry. And I, I, what I, why I left academia is because I found that I find the conversations very dry. And I found the number, <clears throat> excuse me, of people have taking part in the conversation ridiculously small. Right. So <laughs> you would have been the best cook in the faculty. You, though. Would, <laughs> <laughs> you would have like. I remember when I finished and I handed my dissertation to my teacher, my supervisor, and I thought nobody else in this world will ever read what I've just been working <laughs> there on for a the last two in years. Australia that like an average PhD thesis gets read by four people. Yeah, <laughs> like, and it's terrible. just it's shocking. And I remember when I and I said I handed it to her, and I gave a, f a few to a few friends of mine, and I'm sure they've never read it. And and I, it was 1997, and I said like. And then I went to do this kind of cooking course at the Cordon Bleu in London. And I remember I worked in the evening in this restaurant for free, literally, because I didn't have yeah. any experience. And I was playing around. I, this I did this brownie swirled with a blondie and I set it up. So 1990s. Oh, right. And I, <laughs> and I, and I, I sent it up to the, um, to, the sh to the waiters to try it. And they tried to say, oh, I said, that's amazing. I said, that is more reaction in one brownie than I ever got oh, for the two years wow. of dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> So do you still read fiction now or are you I read very little. I have right. to admit that I've someone wanted to interview me recently about the books that I read and I said I can't really do that because I read like maybe four books a year or something. I because I've got young kids yeah. and I try to read a little bit about food and I it's just there's no time and I miss it. Like I yeah. read this book on the airplane and I absolutely loved it and and I just couldn't But you know once your kids are bigger you then will, you read again. You get yeah. back to yeah. reading, but it's like the little scraps of time are also valuable, aren't they? <clears throat> Do you have a favorite book? Um I, re I read a book that I really loved from a couple of years ago. It's called Standard Deviation. It's by an American New York author. Oh, yeah. Um, I've just, her name is just... We'll I look her really up. Look her up. And it's a funny New York food, a little bit food-focused comedy. Oh, okay. It's a bit like in the style of Nora Ephron. Oh, I love Nora uh, Ephron. Uh, but it's more modern, so it was published only last year. Oh, that yeah. sounds great. Uh, she's called Heaney. 
uh, standard deviation by something Heaney. I, okay, I'll remember her name in a second. Right now. And uh, it's both funny Catherine, and Catherine, Catherine Heaney. Heaney. Uh, oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Uh, it's it's everything that you know that a, no, a good novel should be, and she's right. it's a, she's in a relationship with a, a very this. A destructive relationship or a dysfunctional relationship. Right. Where they've got a child which is with a bit of an Asperger, and he goes and does these origami classes with like weird folks in their thirties, and <laughs> it's just like all these kind of bizarre situations we all understand, but and and kind of know. But she just takes them to these extreme, and <laughs> she's got a great sense of humor. And her husband loves cooking, so it's quite a lot about the oh, meals okay. that he makes for the family, and it's it's really worthwhile. Reading. Oh, that sounds yeah. great. So, um, how? On earth, I mean, women get asked this all the time, but men don't get asked often enough, in my opinion. How do you manage all that travel, two little kids, yeah. like your the restaurants, the books, yeah, all of it? I'm really good delegator. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm surrounded. I get a lot of credit for things that I don't deserve the credit for, uh-huh. and this is why I always say, to people, how did I say? Oh, this person did that, and that person did that. I'm. I think my strongest asset is is being able to create a group of people around me that really support oh, me and work together with me. Uh, so, um, like all of my books now are collaborations, you know, and and yeah. people are credited either on the cover or the title page. And I'm the first to, to be transparent about the process. You know, there's a group mm. of people, we work together, we someone tastes, someone collab, co- collates the information. I'm still at the center of every book and I'm always there at every shot and every recipe test. But a lot of people take a lot of responsibility for that out of my hand. And I've got the most amazing little family in the test kitchen, which is a group of two or three of us that are constantly tasting food. Mm. And so that, that helps. And the restaurants, um, again, like I get involved, but there is a Cornelia, uh, she's the general manager of the whole company. She's from Switzerland and she, she has everything that I don't have. So she's got, uh, she, she's great with the staff. They love her and fear her in equal measures. Uh-huh. Like when I would go into one of the restaurants, they couldn't care less. Like I walk in and they go, oh, hi. But when she walks in, they just stand up and shoulders. <laughs> and everything needs to be right, clean, proper, etc. So we need someone Swiss in we our need lives. Yeah, like you do yeah. need someone Swiss. Sure. I mean, she's incredible because she's also really lovable. And they really love her at the same time. But she knows every member of staff. We've got like 300 people. And she knows all of them. And she cares about them. But she's also very demanding. It's incredible, isn't it, when you have someone with that combo of skills? Because what it breeds in in the staff is loyalty. Yes. Because it's the high expectations, but you know the person cares about you and you want to please them. Yeah. And you know what – you stand where you stand mm. there's no ambiguity i think with cornelia she's just like she would give you a bollocking when you've done <laughs> wrong but she will also ask you why you're a bit down with you've broken up with your boyfriend you know she's just yeah. she can just do both so well because she cares and she's that kind of person i am i do care but i don't have any of those talents that she that she has so she's really good on the restaurants and running them and noam who's my business partner from and was my my husband for many, no partner for many years he's the kind of the project he pro- pushes uh, the the boundaries and it comes to the to the brand and and what to do and all the rest most successful relationship with an ex ever really i mean yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a miracle <laughs> of human relations <laughs> i know that is a miracle we broke up we didn't talk to each other for a year. And then when he come, came back to London, it was 2000, uh, he said to me, so what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I had a new boyfriend. And I said, let's open a, a 
ca- cafe together. How complicated! <laughs> <laughs> and and we did, and we still, yeah, it still happens, yeah. Well, you've got a flight to catch, so we probably should. Um, I'm going to Brisbane. Let you go, yeah, heading off to Brizzy. Uh, um, a couple of quick questions from the podcasters. Um, do you uh, also Anne Anna wants to thank you because um, your lemon and poppy seed cake caused her partner Drew to fall in love with her. Oh, so thank you very, very much bad. from Anna. Um, that made my day. Are there any vegetables you just do not fancy? Um, no, I mean I do love all vegetables. I don't love them equally. Mm. So I, some vegetables I like more than others because they're just more yield. Like a cauliflower is a great vegetable because yeah. you can do so much with it. And it's good raw and it's good cooked and slow cooked and deep fried. It's amazing. Other vegetables are a little bit more difficult to... Like I love sweet potatoes, but mm. sweet potatoes are much less... Fl- I mean, there's less you can do with them. And right. their sweetness is quite cloying, so you need to work quite a lot with it to to moderate it. But I just think that all, all vegetables... I, at the moment, I'm completely into my Swedes and turnips and yeah, all those. Right. Yeah, because they Remarkable just... Remarkable roots. Yeah, because they make a lot of great gratins because they've got a, a, a complexity, yeah. like a bitterness that that is really great. And I never do like strictly turnip or because that's too much. But Strictly turnip. That's not a great <laughs> title, isn't it? After roadkill delicacies. <laughs> I love your love of the pea. And the pea, uh, yeah. you do some great things with peas. Um, the pea fritters yeah oh pea fritters from simple are just yeah intoxicating those good. pea fritters are or a version on those dp2 they've been on the nopi menu they're actually quite traditional greek but they've been on oh the nopi God. menu since we opened and everybody loves them so they, 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 the the twist is that it's got cardamom and lime mm. uh, which are really good with pea and feta so that's Yum. um if you were just cooking for yourself at night nobody else home i wouldn't cook I, no, I wouldn't cook for myself. I would just, I, I would just, I, ha- I like cheese and I like wine, so I have mm-hmm. cheese and crackers and wine if I get hungry at night. Uh, but I, I don't really, I wouldn't cook for myself. Life's I get sh- options paralysis. I get so excited um, when I'm at home by myself that I end up having cheese and crackers because I have all of these grand plans of things that I can cook for myself. Yeah. I always just want a piece of toast. Like, oh, you just, really? A piece of toast is just a great. Thing to eat, I reckon. Yeah, I, <laughs> Piece of toast with butter. I, we, I, we like. I, I like. We have a, to- a massive toaster maker that is just bigger than the whole kitchen. Because a few years ago, we started this venture called Sesame, which was going to be our version of fast food, and it went down like in six months. It was <laughs> a big business failure. But we had this panini maker that was massive and was too expensive when we bought it, so someone had to take it home. So <laughs> half, half my kitchen is covered by this industrial panini, <laughs> panini maker. And Carl always, my husband, he always says to me, why are we getting rid of this monster? I said, no, let's, but we do use it. How like, big I'm, are we talking here? Sorry? How big are we talking? Well, it's like, it's like this. Oh, wow. It's really big. It's like two big big plates, like maybe up from here to here. So it's, I don't know, it's like 60 centimeters. A man with long arms has just used those arms to (laughs) delineate uh, a space about two arm lengths long. That's a big panini maker. But it does make mean that we have a lot of toasted sandwiches at home. (laughs) Way to conclude your interview with Yotam Motolenghi, by the way, (laughs) talking about toast. I just just like to talk about toast. (laughs) I reckon some of the most simple things, toast, a well-done chip. You can't go wrong. I had toast and Vegemite for breakfast. It was so good in my hotel room, yeah. So you like Vegemite? Yeah, I, I'm not so used to Vegemite because normally I eat Marmite when I, oh, uh, we, I on yeah. Tuesday morning I have Marmite because on Tuesday we have this group of people that meet up for breakfast and we talk about politics and uh, I always, and I don't really normally have veggie, uh, Marmite at home so I always have veggie, uh, Marmite toast on Tuesday morning. Are you just absolutely crapping yourself about Brexit? 
Yes. Don't talk to me about Brexit. I am. I just will. Will it affect? Um, say will it, it will. If it might take the whole country down. Like if it if we crash out in about two weeks, two months, then I don't know what's going to happen. What about things like? Do you get food in from Europe? In, yeah. And so does it affect all of that? Oh yeah, for sure. It mm. will affect. I mean, every, nobody seems to think that we'll be brought. We'll be taken to the position where it will happen. But if it will, then we're all going to be in the shit. But the the one thing that I know is that we're all going to sink together. So <laughs> <laughs> well, you are extremely welcome here <laughs> exactly. at any time. And if you do decide to do um, roadkill as your next book, you know, yeah. we'll we'll be the happy collaborators yeah. on well, roadkill. Yeah, we'll just head out to Tasmania and get some roadkill. <laughs> oh God, you will enjoy Tasmania so much. Um, and thank you for. Um, um, letting us come and be guest. in your presence. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. For more, you can head to chat10looks3.com where you'll find information about everything we've discussed in this episode. Click on the link Bedside Table to purchase books we've discussed. If you scroll down the homepage, you can also sign up for our newsletter, which has heaps of interesting extra things to read, watch or listen to. And sometimes the website even has merchandise to buy and information about live shows around Australia. You can follow Chat 10 Looks 3 on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.